From the Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, this is Getting Ethics to Work, the podcast that tackles the trickier moral dilemmas that you might face in the workplace. I'm Andy Cullison. And I'm Kate Berry. For each episode of Getting Ethics to Work, we discuss a case or issue and unpack the difficult and often hidden ethical tensions that can make it hard to get along with others at work. And by the way, case is just an ethicist word for story. Now, before we get started, I want to remind everyone that we are not lawyers and are not offering legal expertise. But as an ethicist, I can help you see how burnout is a perfect example of a hidden moral dilemma in the workplace. And if you'd like what you've been hearing and want to help us out, the best thing you can do is recommend the show to a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I hope you'll consider doing that. All right. So, Kate, what's the case we're going to talk about today? Well, today we're going to talk about a person that I bet is pretty familiar to most of us, especially uh, recovering from COVID. So this person is feeling irritable, maybe even angry, is feeling a little panicky when they get up in the morning, isn't sleeping well. They notice that their blood pressure is out of whack. They feel really unhealthy. And so they put all of their symptoms into WebMD, you know, everyone's favorite doctor, and the internet tells them that they might be suffering from burnout. Wait, WebMD has burnout as like a medical diagnosis? And not just WebMD, even things like actual hospitals have decided that burnout is an actual diagnosable, I don't know if they'd say illness, but something that can be diagnosed. So this person realizes they're experiencing burnout. They start to think about life at work and they're like, well, I guess that makes sense. I'm working really long hours. Uh, The pay is starting to not feel like it's quite enough for everything they're asking us to do. The more they think about it, the more they realize that they are unhappy at work and they're really ready to just throw in the towel, toss their computer out the window and walk away. But then they think about their coworkers who are all in the same boat. They realize that their coworkers are also being put upon this way and being asked to do a lot with less. And so they're wondering what their obligations are. They want to just walk away, but they realize that that's not a solution. Financially, it won't work for them. And then they also feel like they owe the people they work with something. So I thought we might talk about burnout and how to deal with it in the workplace, especially with a moral component. Well, this is a really interesting case. Also, I must confess, it was news to me shortly before we started even thinking about this episode that burnout was a literal medical diagnosis. But I mean, it makes sense, right? There are physical ailments and mental health kinds of things that burnout can cause. So if something is causing the body to not be healthy... Yeah, that makes sense to think about it in medical terms. So it sounds like people are starting to think about it medically, but what if we wanted to think about it morally? Exactly. And I love this topic for that reason, because as I even said in our little joke in the intro, burnout, I think, is a great example of a phenomena at work. It makes your work life difficult, and it's not even easy to see that you have it. And once you realize you have it, it's still not easy to see that the source of it might be moral in nature. And in particular, some kind of moral tension or moral disagreement, so to speak, between you and someone you work for who is making life difficult. And you might not even realize how that's happening. And so I think this is a great way to sort of unpack because there are different potential causes of burnout. And actually, a lot of the quote-unquote causes of burnout do strike me as though they involve fundamental moral disagreements or disputes 
that just haven't been brought to the surface. So I would normally think that the cause of burnout is too much work. Is it a little bit more complicated than that? The Harvard Business Review has an interesting article that has like six causes of burnout. And one at the top of the list is workload, like you mentioned. It's like workload can be a cause of burnout, but it doesn't always have to be workload. Another one that they cite is perceived lack of control. This is basically what it feels like to be micromanaged, right? When you're micromanaged and you don't get to decide or make a whole lot of decisions and you're just waiting around for the next marching order to come in, that's a kind of thing. You could also have a boss that is gone a lot of the time and that you feel like you don't know if the work that you're doing is the work that it's supposed to be doing. So you may be getting to decide your path, but are full of uncertainty of like, is this even what I'm supposed to be doing? You can't shape things because you haven't been given any direction. And so you don't really have much control over outcomes in the sense that you can't control the outcomes that you think are what the company would want. Right. There's, of course, another one that they cite is lack of reward and that not being rewarded or compensated enough for your labor. They also just cite the community in general, right? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a openly toxic community, but an openly toxic community could cause burnout. But it's just being around people who are not supportive, they're, they're not trustworthy, or just like all around cold to be around. It's just not a pleasant community to be in. I can imagine the flip side too, of someone who's like, I just want to go into work, do my job and leave. And I feel like all my coworkers want to do is socialize and go out bowling. Absolutely. It's like happy hour after every day. And it's like, I just, I just need to go home. I need to get away from you people. (laughs) And then of course, there's just fairness objections. If you feel like something is not fair. Yeah. And then the last one is a kind of values mismatch. Uh, You highly value something that your organization does not or maybe your organization used to seem to value something, or they said they valued something, and you come in and their actions don't look like they value that at all. Now, now notice, almost all of these are going to be, in some sense, moral disagreements. Or, or I, I can see there being moral disagreements, right? Is my workload too much? I think the answer is yes. I ought not have that, but the boss thinks this is a perfectly appropriate level of work. So right there, you've got a moral disagreement and perceived lack of control. If I'm being micromanaged, the the boss thinks that I should not have autonomy over this. And I think I should have autonomy. So again, there's going to be a kind of moral dispute or disagreement, not being rewarded enough for what you're doing, right? Again, you have a view about what is an appropriate level of reward and the boss or the supervisor doesn't. The last two, fairness and values mismatch, I mean, those are explicit moral terms, right? Those are terms we use when we do ethics all the time. So so really, all six of these, there's a case to be made that if you're experiencing burnout, it could be one of these six things, and there's a good chance that at its core, you think something's not okay that someone else thinks is okay. That's a textbook moral dilemma. So let's imagine, like my hypothetical person at the top of the show, that you are starting to suspect that you are burnt out at work, especially if we're going to consider this sort of a moral problem that we can work through. How do we start? Well, I think the first one is to figure out which moral problem it is. Ask yourself some questions like, based on these six causes, do any of them resonate with you? How do you feel about your workload? Do do you feel like you're 
being asked to do too much. But then why are you upset about your workload? Is it, is it that you feel like you're not being compensated enough for the work? Or is it you feel like you're being unequitably burdened with these tasks and like no one else has to do it and you feel it's unfair that you're the only one being asked to do these things? Because that's going to dictate different kinds of things. Sure. Ask yourself questions about the community that you're in. How do I feel about these relationships with the people around me? Am I very uncomfortable around people in the workplace? That would suggest that maybe the relationships aren't very strong. If that's the reason for burnout, that's going to dictate a different strategy than if it's workload related. You know, another question to ask on the fairness one, are there things about the way our team operates or the way the organization operates as a whole that I just regard as very, very unfair? And then the final one is the values mismatch. Take a good look. Do you feel good about the company as a whole and what they're doing? Do you value something that you seem to think the company does not value? Or the company says they value it and that's what got you excited about the company, but then you come to realize "Ah, that's not actually what the company values based on the way they're acting and the decisions that are being made. It does not seem to be consistent with this core value that I, when I came here, I thought that I was told that that was a big, important, you know, value of the company. And it may be more than one, right? This could be causally overdetermined. There could be more than one of these things. Heck, it could be all of them, right? That are sort of contributing. So I think that's step one, figure out which of these things you think is the likely cause. Yeah. Once you've figured out that it might be whichever one of these things it is, Then I think it's good to do a little bit of good, hard soul searching, which will involve a lot of moral reasoning and figure out, are you actually right about this or not? Yeah, I was going to say, if we're we're applying the moral framework, if we're going to be good philosophers, I guess we should really investigate our perception, right? And whether we are understanding the situation in our workplace in, it seems loaded to say the right way, but we may have a skewed perspective, especially if we've reached a point of burnout. Exactly. And in fact, when in a state of burnout, there's evidence that we would reason differently, right? We're going to, we're going to reason very differently about the moral landscape when we're angry, uh, when we're upset, when we're tired, when we're stressed. And so that's the funny thing about trying to reason through moral issues is that when you are in these uh, certain kinds of effective states, it can, it can impact our ability to, to reason through some of this stuff. Like you said, a a good philosopher, you should figure out if you're right about it, because it's probably not fairness necessarily that's the cause of burnout. It's the person's perception of fairness, right? And they could be wrong about it being unfair. And so I think the first thing you need to do is make sure that you're really, really right about the situation being unfair for you. Make sure that you're really, really right about the lack of compensation, you know, the reward not being enough for the labor. I can imagine different situations where if you find out that one of your colleagues makes a lot more money than you, and on one hand, if it seems like the only reason they make more money than you is because they are a man or because they're related to your boss, that seems pretty unfair. On the other hand, if the colleague that makes a lot more than you is the top earner in your department always brings in new clients, and that your organization explicitly uses raises and bonuses in order to incentivize that behavior, 
that may be less of a fairness issue and more just like how your workplace operates. Or, or maybe that person has a particular kind of expertise, which makes it easier for them to sell a certain kind of product that's normally really hard to sell. And so they've been given the stuff that's really hard to sell. They bring a particular expertise to the table that makes it easier for them to sell it. And like no one else in the office would be able to do it. Then yeah, maybe you, maybe you pay that person a little bit more for each of their successive sales, given the difficulty of the sale and the nature of the expertise required to do it. And I guess that could still be a values mismatch in that you'd have to investigate in yourself if you want to work in a place that makes those kinds of distinctions. Like maybe you want to work in a place that is like, I don't like the competition. I want us all to basically make the same money, but it's not necessarily unfair. At least it's not unfair in the sense that like, you know, we knew what the game was when we went in, when we, you know, and you just realized you didn't like it. Right. You, you realize there are all these negative things about it. You're like, I just this is this is weird. I mean, I could imagine something similar on the perceived lack of control. I think there's always a kind of delicate balance as to when is the direction sort of too much direction too much, where it's to the point of micromanaging. And there's there is this whole delicate balance between a supervisor and a direct report about when is it okay for the supervisor to just say, no, it needs to be done this way and it can't be done any other way. And when should a supervisor be like, you know what, I need to take a step back, just provide support, maybe a little bit of coaching, but I really just need to let this person go and and do their own thing. There's a whole philosophy of leadership called situational leadership. And there's, there's professional development around this where it basically coaches supervisors and direct reports and gives them vocabulary on how they can communicate with one another and strike that kind of delicate balance of when do I get direction and more what people are going to think feels like micromanaging type behaviors and when is the boss supposed to just take a step back. And so it would be good if you're in that situation, you feel like you have no control. What things about my job, is it reasonable for me to expect I should be able to do this the way I want? And what aspects about my job are, no, I should be more open to just, if that's the way they want it done, that's the way it should be done. And then trying to figure that out for yourself. And then maybe trying to have a conversation with a supervisor about that, right? If that's the source of lack of control. Right. And you could also then with that conversation, see maybe if your supervisor's habits are outside of the norm. So if like, if you can't even have a meeting with your supervisor because you don't ever see them and it's been, you get like, you see them once a year, then that might be someone where you have a very justified feeling of burnout of like, I can't get a hold of my boss ever. On the other hand, if you have a boss, I've, I've you know, heard of stories of people who are like, my boss checks up if like every day I've sent basic emails, like the things that I, I've been working here for years and I've never missed it. That may be a justified reason of feeling that like, the managing style is just not good and that your burnout is totally justified if you have someone who's checking up on really basic aspects of your job. Just to review, step one, figure out which of these things is the cause of your burnout. Maybe it's more than one. Step two, do a little soul searching and really try to figure out, am I justified in my opinion that this is unfair or that I'm, you know, or that I'm not being rewarded enough or 
it's reasonable for me to hold the company to these values that I really wish they would hold to, or my perceived lack of control is justified, that that's an okay thing to be upset about, not having that kind of control. So figure that out. And then if you decide that maybe you were too quick to judge that it's unfair, if perceptions of unfairness lead to burnout, then, then maybe that tempers some of it, right? So if you, if you did some soul searching, you're like, you know what, maybe I was being a little too quick to judge here. Maybe you've mitigated burnout. Maybe you might start to feel a little bit of relief. Oh, I was upset about this, but I realized I didn't have a good reason to be upset about it. It might take some time. You know how like when you have a, a dream about someone doing a really bad thing and then you like wake up and you're like still angry with that person, even though you know for a fact that they didn't do the thing because you know it was a dream. The, the anger might still be there. So you might need to give yourself a few days, hopefully give it a little bit of time those feelings of anger might subside and you can come to be a little bit more at peace with the situation, so to speak. Okay, but now suppose you've done the soul searching and you're like, no, I am fully justified. It's definitely unfair. or I'm definitely not being rewarded. I've done my homework. I'm not being rewarded enough for this. It's not okay for the company to be espousing this value, but behaving in the way it does. Or like, my boss really is being a micromanager and it's not, it's not cool. Then depending on which one of those it is, it might suggest a different strategy. Like take the perceived lack of control. You think your boss is a micromanager. Well, an open, honest conversation with the boss might be a good starting point and say, Hey, look, you seem to think that the way our work relationship goes, it should be, I would actually, for this one, read just a primer on the situational leadership stuff because basically that's a whole philosophy of the relationship between like a supervisor and a direct report that basically says a leader's style or a manager's style needs to shift based on the level of competence of the person. If you provide too much direction over something that they're very competent in, then that can lead to a kind of misalignment. If you're not providing enough and they need a lot of directive behavior, they need a lot of direction, then you can get this kind of mismatch. And so the whole program is designed to help a supervisor and a direct report get the kind of vocabulary to start talking to each other about, okay, when am I going to need a lot of direction from you? And when am I just going to need like a sideline cheerleader who's just providing me support? And then just sort of lay those ground rules. And hopefully you could have a conversation like that with a micromanagey boss. And again, a primer on the situational leadership stuff is, I think, a good way to go. A lot of these seem like they could be solved maybe with a conversation, maybe about a more uh, fair workload, maybe talks about raises, maybe talks about increased vacation. The one, though, that seems tricky to me is if if you joined a company when it presented itself with a certain set of values and either those values changed over time or it was just always lying. Is the only answer to that to leave the job? That is tough. And it's going to depend on a lot of variables, I think. So first, how important is that value to like your own identity? If you've made it your life's mission to work in a way that is trying to solve climate change and you go work for a company that purports to be green, but then you find out they're doing all kinds of really not best practices. Maybe they use recycled materials, but they do something else awful on the back end. And, you know, you might think I don't, that's just such a core value of mine. Like they're not going to stop that if I can't 
mobilize enough people to get them to stop that, I think I've got to, I think I've got to go. But there might be other times where the organization is so large. And even though it feels like you're working for the empire, maybe there's a way for you to be doing your work that does kind of live out your core values. And for whatever reason, you're able to do something that you feel good about even though you're not too thrilled about the organization as a whole. And if you could get yourself sort of focused on that, like here's a way that I can be doing good work in the world, even though I'm not entirely thrilled about the organization that I work for, you know, keep your eyes out for other opportunities, but you know, I don't think you need to just like take your ball and go home necessarily. If you think you can be doing what you can, here's an example. My mom was a librarian for the county public library and the the library system was actually pretty huge and you know there were a lot of things a lot of decisions that the library was making that she probably didn't really agree with and it would have said ah, i just i just think that was a bad direction i think it was you know we we said we were here primarily for the people who need us the most and yet we're not open during the hours when those people would be most likely to come get our support, right? You know, say like low income families who might not have access and you're like having these weird hours. You're not investing in the kinds of books or literature that we know they would want. Instead, you're investing in like the things you want to read or something, you know, something like that. Yeah. If, if you said you're like, we're here for kids, but you're not open after school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now... You could sort of say, you know, at the top, I really don't like these decisions that are being made. I think we're alienating a lot of people, those kinds of things. But you might be entrusted with, in your neck of the woods, running an after-school program. Maybe your after-school program is open still, or maybe you've managed to figure out how to do it. And you might be running something or running a program that you think is like really positively impacting the community. And it's sort of like, okay, fine. I I despise what they're doing at the top, but here I have an opportunity to, you know, engage in work that for me is, is meaningful and impactful. You know, I think a lot of public school teachers do this to themselves as well. The sort of like, I just, I don't like the governor. I don't like these policies. They're just antithetical to my values, but I'm making enough so that I'm comfortable and I can, you know, have a positive impact on these kids. So I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it. And if you can just sort of orient yourself in that way, that might be a way to get over burnout. It, and it may not work. And it may be that at the end of the day, you've got to start looking for something else. But that's at least one way in which someone could try to handle a values mismatch. It's like, even though I can't control the beast in this little area that the beast has given me dominion over, I can do a lot of good. And so I'm just going to focus on that. So what should someone do if they're listening to this episode and it's starting to sound familiar to them and they're afraid that they may also be suffering from burnout? It's hard to give very specific advice about burnout because there are so many different possible causes of it. They involve very different kinds of moral disagreements. And any individual who's burnt out, the first thing they have to do is figure out if they're right about the unfairness or something. So really we can only give some pretty general advice. And that is figure out what the source of the burnout is. Once you figure that out, 
figure out if your moral opinion in that moral disagreement is right or not. And then the third step is figure out the degree to which that is resolvable and take steps toward trying to resolve it where you can. And then if you can't, there should be no shame in saying, you know what, maybe it is time for me to find something different. Thanks so much for joining us as we try to get ethics to work. I'm Andy Cullison. And I'm Kate Barry. If you have a dilemma or tension that you're dealing with in the workplace, email me at katherineberry at depaw.edu and maybe we'll talk through your issue on the air. I really hope you take Kate up on that. I also hope you can take some of what we discussed here and get it to work. If you want to learn more about what we talked about on the show today, check out our show notes page at prindleinstitute.org slash work. That's all one word, get ethics to work. Remember to subscribe to get new episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. But regardless of where you subscribe, please be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It is still the best place for us to meet new listeners. Getting Ethics to Work is hosted by the Janet Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. Our logo was created by Smallbox. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions and can be found online at www.sessions.blue. Our show is made possible with the generous support of DePaul alumni, friends of the Prindle Institute, and you, the listeners. Thank you for your support. The views expressed here are the opinions of the individual speakers alone. They do not represent the position of DePaul University or the Prindle Institute for Ethics.